Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. This week, I talked to two people who are awfully good at what they do. And as somebody who grew up watching the NFL today with Brent Musburger, I love sports television. And these two guys are part of a property that is as good as anything you will find when it comes to covering a sport and television. I'm talking about Rich Lerner and Brandel Chambly. They're coming up next. that, I welcome in two very good friends, Rich Lerner and a guy, it's a kind of a, the summer he's had, it's a combination of the secret life of Walter Mitty and Gulliver's <laughs> Travels. Brandel Chambly, gentlemen, good to see you both. Nice to see you, Good to see you, GW. Vasco da Gama has been exploring the planet. Look, look how we're dressed, too. Like, he's still in, in the Greek Isles, yes. right? I'm linen head to toe. I'm suitably middle-aged golf guy with the, you know, the full look here. I'll be coat and tie by the time we go on the air tonight. I will transform out of uh, linen to uh, to coat and tie. And so you look great. How were the Greek Isles? They were epic, you know. I, I, and I'd Scotland. Been wanting and Ireland. <laughs> All that was great. That was golf, right? Scotland, London, Ireland, that was golf. This was this was not. This was uh, sort of a, a bucket list trip for sure, yeah. but it was, uh, it was about being with, you know, eight friends, you know, detached. I don't know that we looked at our phones really, looked at our computers. We sat around and and talked and enjoyed life for uh, for a week or so. It was wonderful. Loved it. Uh, if you're looking at him, you're thinking, boy, he went through makeup. No, he didn't. This is the George <laughs> Hamilton look uh, for, for Brandel. Yeah, eight days on a boat will get you will, will get you medium rare. For no, sure. no doubt. You know, you mentioned going on the air tonight. You guys are in Charlotte all week. It's it's great to have you here uh, for an event that that you know is going to look different in terms of the participants, and it was going to look like. At the beginning of this year, I had Trevor Immelman on a couple of months ago, and I, I told him, I said, look, I, you may be bringing the best team that, that the internationals have, have had here. That's not going to be the case, and I do want to talk at length about your week, but I, I really want people to understand what it is that you do. And I mean that from the live from standpoint, because and I, I say this emotionally and intellectually invested in both of you, I think it's as good as anything that any sport can prevent, provide to their audience in terms of conversation and, and information uh, and debate. When was the first time you two worked together? Well, let's see. Uh, you know, obviously when I was playing the tour, you know, Rich being Rich, you know, anytime there was a story and, um, you know, Rich dove into it. So I, I actually, I'm not going to say worked, but I, I did a piece with Rich, uh, you know, I had a I had a son that passed away, and and Rich wanted to tell that story and tell about you know um, the tragedy of it, and 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 he did it beautifully. And in that, I I gained a lot of respect and trust in Rich, because that's a difficult story to tell the way he told it, uh, which was beautifully done. And then uh, I think Rich had a lot to do with me coming to the Golf Channel in 2004. Uh, I think he was an advocate for me. Uh, I don't know that 100%. We were actually, we never really talked about that, but behind the scenes I got the sense that he was. And almost immediately in 2004, Rich and I ended up pretty much on the same sort of schedule where I would do Champions Tour events with Rich. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about Des Moines. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that was it. So my very first year, Rich and I spent so many hours together. And, and to bring it full circle, I think that's, that's the basis for the 
the success that we have on live from it comes from trust it comes from commitment and it comes from passion uh, you know I have the utmost trust that he's going to treat every subject matter with great with great uh, intensity and passion uh, but whatever questions he has about say a point that I'm going to make if, if he has a if he has a question about it and he wants to contradict me I know it's coming from the right place it's not coming from an ego driven place it's coming from a let's get the story right place and so you know there's I always say that any organization takes on the personality of leadership and we are lucky to have Matt Haggerty is, mm -hmm. is our leader uh, and Rich Lerner uh, is our leader so you can't find two more passionate people about the game of golf and the stories of the game of golf. You couldn't find them. You could look all over the world. You're never going to find two more passionate people than Matt Haggerty and Rich Lerner, not only about golf, but about telling the stories mm. with, in a 360 degree view. So our audience benefits from that. Our team benefits from that. So really, it, it comes from leadership, and Rich is an integral part of that leadership. 2004 in Des Moines, nice was thanks, there a lot please. of discussion about Dale Douglas and Tom Wargo? <laughs> I can see you two going deep on those two guys. <laughs> Do you remember, I remember getting a call, 2003 or four, whatever it was, getting a call from an executive, well-meaning executive, and it was Thursday night. We had just done uh, a broadcast. Maybe it was Friday night. It was a 54-hole event in Des Moines. And they said, hey, you, you two, it was the two of us, you need to pump the energy levels up. And I'm saying, hey, it's round one in Des Moines. You try to pump up the energy with Doug Tool on the fifth hole. Come on. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, do, I do remember that call. I, 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 with I due respect to Doug Tool, who yeah, says, you I, know, is a wonderful player. I, yeah, actually, Doug, Doug could hit it straighter than you could point. That um, was the Fuzzy Zeller hole-in-one. Do you remember? I, of course. I never forgot that hole-in-one. Fuzzy Zeller, I can't remember what hole it was, back nine, somewhere 13, 14, uh, hits it left of the hole about 10, 12 feet. Looked like he pulled it. Nice enough shot. And the ball just hung there. This, by the way, was great camera work because for whatever reason, the cameraman decided to hang on the ball. Now, why he would hang on this ball, I have no idea. And I don't even know why the producer and the director decided to hang on it. But they did. And the ball sat there, motionless, for one, two, three, four, five. And then just started creeping, creeping, and creeping. And it seemed to take an attorney and eventually went into the hole for a hole in one. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> let, let, me, let me just say this. I appreciate everything you said. I echo great privilege of my professional career has been to work with Brandel uh, for all these years. Lots been written and said uh, about Brandel. I get asked about him a lot because he's provocative. He's thoughtful. He says things sometimes that I think are uncomfortable uh, for people. And, and he, uh, he can divide mm -hmm. at times because he takes a stand. And I, you and I have talked about this many times, Gary. It's television death to not take a stand. And he's asked to do it, you know, if we're doing live from it. Seven different looks at Rory McIlroy. Seven different takes on the Ryder Cup, on live golf, whatever the subject is. But I say it's been this great privilege because I think anybody, whatever it is that you do, wherever you work, you want to go to a place where you're inspired, where you laugh, uh, where you work with people who work their rear ends off, um, and where you're working with, with some great uh, talent, great people. And he, that, that's Brandel. You've been in our trailer. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's a proverbial sort of locker room. I love, I love our locker room. It's funny. 
it's it's wild at times. It's it loose. It's like a cocktail party. There are conversations, but when it's time to go, we go and we work. But I can tap Brandel on the shoulder midday, Saturday, round three of a major, and we might be talking politics or we might be talking about his trip to Greece. It's a fun place to be. I love going to work, principally because of, because of Brandel. And Matt, you know, yeah. Matt Hegarty the same way in our entire crew. And I think if you would ask, say, Justin Leonard, what surprised him most about his experience on Live From and what did he love the most, I'll bet he would say the atmosphere in our trailer uh, when we're on the road. So, um, and then you know, there's the work ethic. Uh, we, we, we joke, I want the legal pad someday to go to the Hall of Fame. And, you know, I, I will, if I do get in a conversation with somebody about Brandel, hey, I'm up, I said, look, you may disagree with what he said with his opinion, but I can assure you this, I'm not telling you how to think, I can assure you, what he presented on air last night, last week, last month, was well-reasoned and well-researched, well-thought-out. I have the, I'll, if I could get them, I'll bring you the legal pads to show you. Beautiful penmanship, page after page after page after page, every day. Deep dives into whatever the subject is. That's why I, I, I feel strongly he's the best desk analyst in any sport. Um, you, want, you want to come at me and say, well, you're, you're blowing smoke up. No, I, I, I feel that way because I've, I've sat next to him. I've listened closely, and I've watched what else is out there. Who else is out there? There's some, some great desk analysts. Nobody with the command of the English language, the, the, the breadth uh, and scope of, of, of thought, command of a variety of, of disciplines beyond his own sport ability to draw uh, from, from literature, from history, from other sports. Um, and so... Um, that's why I say it's, it, it's been a, a, the, the great privilege of my professional career to work alongside Brandel. And, and we, we do have, uh, we, you know, we take pride in, in what we do. I, I remember, was it last year, late, we were, we were in, it might have been October, November, and it was a, a, a great uh, LPGA event in Korea. And, and I remember looking at you, and we were, you know, we were deep dive you know, stats and, you know, discussions in the newsroom about what we were watching. And we, it kind of hit us that there's no different than a major. We're into this. And, and that's the way, you know, you have, you have to be, and, and that's the way it should be. And so, and, and look, and, and, and I'm going on here, but, you know, Frank was an integral part. Sure. And, and Frank <clears throat> never forgave me. I, I sort of... Uh, made a pitch to Frank at the, the Jeff Julian charity fundraiser. Mm. I don't know if you remember Jeff, sure. an ins inspirational guy who uh, passed, sadly, from ALS, a great charity event in Vermont with his buddy Scott Peters. Um, and I, I, I knew Frank was a thinker, just as I, you know, in covering the tour, and we've had these discussions, right, but which player would make a great analyst based on interviews they've done who's got it, who can speak well. Brandon, we all knew, and Frank was the same. And I said, Frank, have you ever thought about you know, commentary, golf channel? And you know, he had had some injury issues 
but Frank, uh, integral as well in, in, in building it, and, and everybody else who's been a part of it. Life from is not just, you know, uh, Brandel and me, and now Paul McGinley. It's it's Kara, and it's Noda, sure. and it's Rolf, and it's Jaime Diaz, and Todd Lewis. Thank goodness for Todd Lewis and the reporting that he does. It it and and Ari Marcus and Kevin Casey and feature uh, Kevin producers. Ryan. And it, it's it's a, it's a small, relatively speaking, it's a small team. But it's a team, uh, you know. It's it's all in, and and it's is it a blast to go to? Well, I, I, again, I don't mean yeah. to be cliche. It's a blast to go into the yeah, and I think the trailer. You know, there's, there's, when I think of uh, when I think of live from, I, I I have a lot of images that pop into my head. One of them is you always burst into the door like Kramer on Seinfeld. Oh, I'm, I got an idea! <laughs> I got an idea! I wrote this essay last depending, night. I wrote, depending on where the hair's at, yeah, and, 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 and I am and, tall. And any <laughs> comes, but the debate. Uh, at meetings, we have a meeting today at noon. From noon to one, we will argue our tails off. We will, and that's why I said trust, because that that conflict is great. You the know, meetings you, were noon to two when Frankie was with us. Yeah, they were, because <laughs> he was the ultimate contrarian. He, God love him. He was. He was. People think I'm a contrarian. Uh, Frank would beat me seven and six in a contrarian debate. Um, but uh, and that's what I loved about working yeah. with Frank because like you know I, I would say it's twelve o'clock and Frank would say well in Australia it's not it's not <laughs> not twelve o'clock in Australia and, and off we go. But uh, did anybody read tournaments as they were unfolding? No, better no, than no. Frank, Frank was and I, I've was, said that many many times. Uh, was I was so very good. fortunate to work with with Frank. I, I absolutely loved Frank. We disagreed almost about every single issue, uh, but Frank would go the opposite way of me. Not. Not to be combative, but because he was like, I know you've covered this one, so I got to go cover this. Yeah. And, Did you ever and feel the tension, by the way, with Frank? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, I felt it. Uh, in the, in some of our, I would say most <laughs> vociferous debates, uh, you can I I have I have deducted. I've I've thought about his reach. I thought, could he hit me here? And I'd be, you know, I'd be just, I'm, I don't think he can hit me he's here. He's tough. And I was like, we used to have debates dude. when I played the tour about who were the least, um, who would you not want to get in a fight with? Oh, he's and there were two pervading, well, three actually. Mike Sullivan was one of them. But, you know, when Mike Sullivan left the tour, Mike was a really <laughs> tough guy. I loved Mike. Um, it was Ernie Els and Frank Nablo. It was like everybody, there was just enough crazy in both of them yeah. where you were like, you know, toughness. But not a chance you're going to back either one of them down with blows. Not, not like I would be in that battle. I could outrun either of them. Uh, but, but, but that was it. And so when I, I knew Frank, when I got paired with Frank, uh, Frank and I were both shoot 75 almost every time we got paired together. Because from the first hole to the 18th green, we'd never stop talking. And so when I started working in television, I thought, when I played the tour, I thought the most interesting people that I ever really played golf with were Colin Montgomery, People always thought, you know, he was oh, so, Monty. right, Monty was incredibly interesting to talk to. He could talk about loads of things. Right, and we, we had him on live from for no, a little bit. No, he was fantastic. We had laughs all day with Monty. So, so definitely Monty and, and definitely Frank, you know, two of a handful of guys that I, I felt were the most interesting people that I ever played golf with. And so I was, I was lucky enough to, to get to work with both of them. The, um, you know, I, I, Jay Billows, who contributes here, who you came on his show, Jay doesn't do studio work as much as he used to. He's on the best games in college basketball. And it's not because I was on the inside and now I'm close enough being on the outside. I've always felt it was you and him. Um, 
most well-prepared, um, and also, when need be, the most righteous. Um, and it's not easy to be righteous these days because it, all it takes is for you to say something, for you to get reaction from thousands of people. Not, it's not Bob Raceman um, you know, writing about you the next day. Your critics are waiting for you to say something for them to pounce on you. Have you found yourself becoming in any way a little bit more resistant or, or reticent about saying something than you were five years ago? No, no. We live in a, in a world now where if Mother Teresa were alive and, and said something that, that was meant to bring the world together, there would be attacks on her. I'm not comparing myself to Mother Teresa. I'm just saying that uh, unfortunate um, downstream effect of social media is, is that everybody has a voice. That's also a fortunate part about it. You know, I've seen very good things have happened because of social media. But I think one of the bad things about it is that that every negative person out there, every single person out there, can get some access. And, and I think the danger is that, because there's not that many people in general on social media, but the most negative of those people are responsible for, roughly speaking, about 80% of the tweets that you see, or posts that you see. And people can confuse that with reality. So while I think criticism is valuable, no doubt about it, if it's well-intended and comes from the right people uh, and in the right way, there's certainly something to learn from criticism. Uh, absolutely. But, <clears throat> you know, people I don't know, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. You know, there's a good chance they're bots or there's a good chance their heart's not in the right place. So there's a good chance, you know, of myriad other factors that are, are the foundation of that criticism. So I, I give criticism its due, certainly, and I think we can all learn from it. But by and large, I, I, I don't, I say this all the time, I, I don't speak to be provocative. I, I say things that I believe to be true. And, and it happens that I learned that I was wrong, and I, I will change my opinion. People give me a lot of grief for changing my opinion. I'm like, listen, when I hold a view and I find facts to be contrary to that view, I'll change my view. But by and large, I, I think it's important for me to do my research. I, I say this too, I don't do research to reinforce opinions, I do research to discover my opinions. And then once I discover my opinions, I try to think of counters to those opinions and deal with them. And I'm like, oh, and, and occasionally I'll think, okay, I was wrong, you know, I, I was wrong. I got to change my opinion. I got to come at it from this way. And, and, and of course there's going to be criticism because I'm, I'm generally speaking about, um, you know, I've added things up and I've got to get to the why. And the why always pisses people off. You can tell people all kinds of things, what the score is, who threw the most touchdowns, who, you know, missed the most catches, you know, whatever it is, who missed the most free throws or three points. You can say those things. Those are always the what. The why is why they did this, why they won, why they lost. That pisses people off because, they, you know, who are you to tell us? I'm like, I'm the person they paid to tell you. Uh, and, and I could be wrong. Uh, but, but I'm gonna do some research uh, and, and try to tie it into as many different areas as I can to explain why I've come to that opinion. And that, that pisses people off. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, I'm, I'm very okay with conflict and debate. I, I think that we all make progress through disputation. Uh, that's, that's how we all stumble towards our better selves, and that's how we stumble towards a better show. And part of that, as I said earlier, when we go in today to have this meeting, 
we will, we will argue. We'll, there will be, there'll be 12, 15 people in that meeting and we will argue. And that's why I say trust is so important because that everybody in that group knows the debate and the, the conflict is coming from the right spot. It's mm -hmm. not coming from an ego-driven spot. It's coming from a spot of, let's get this right so we can put on a hell of a show tonight. Because the thing about Live From is, when we come on the air, I say this a lot, long after there's nothing left to say, we come on the air. Like everything that could possibly be said about the golf has already been said. They start saying it first thing in the morning on PGA Tour radio, and they, we listen to PGA Tour radio, and, and then there's, you know, there's a golf central that comes on before the show, and then during the live show, these guys are great, and they'll tell you what the hell happened, and then we're on the air. And it's like, well, what, what's left to say? And it's like, well, I'm a viewer, I'm a golf lover, he's a golf lover and things that interest us throughout the day. Maybe it'll be something somebody said, maybe it'll be just a shot, maybe it'll be a moment, but whatever. We find meat on the bone. To me, the most curious people are the people whose opinion evolves because they're willing to listen. And, and as, as kind of your lens and your view gets wider, you take in new information and the context of, of things can change. And I, I think a very good example of that in the game of golf over the last 10 years is Rory McIlroy. Rory's opinion on many very important things has evolved and to varying degrees it's changed. Um, and I, I've always said, Rich, about him that he's a lethal weapon because he is, he's weaponized with an eloquence that very few have and then he is willing to do this, this deep dive into data that provides him with this quantitative baseline to support the way that he's presenting an argument that to sit on that desk with him is very challenging. And Frank did it for many, many years and, and Justin did an admirable job and a very good job. And, and Paul's doing it in a different way and he's doing a good job. It's not easy to sit next to him. So, I love basketball, you guys know that. Yeah. So, I'm tall as it goes for, well not the modern game, for point guards, right? <laughs> but my job is to what? Distribute the yeah. ball. Mm. And understand my teammates, what their strengths are, who they are, what they like, what they need. And Brandel, if you're going to use the basketball analogy, is a, is a high volume uh, scorer. He loves the rock, but d please do not mistake that uh, f me saying he's selfish. He is unselfish. Go look at the tape. Go listen how many times he'll say something nice about one of my essays or he'll turn to Paul and underscore uh, something great that Paul's done in his career. Uh, very unselfish player. But he's, he, he needs to be able to create. He needs space to go off the dribble, to attack the rim, to make plays. He's, a, he's the ultimate, in my book, he's the ultimate playmaker. And so, you know, and sometimes I've learned through the years, uh, the simple pass sometimes is enough. I don't have to come down the court and through the legs and behind. And it, no, just kick it to the wing and let's go. Let's get the offense. <laughs> let's get the offense. And what, what, what's, I think, underappreciated about Brandel is his ability to freelance, uh, create in an unscripted way, uh, and be funny. You know, it's a show. Brent, one thing I'm proud of through the years that you and I have tried to cultivate is you know, the, the, a sense of when we need to loosen up and lighten up. And 
Let's take a chance. Let's do something silly, something goofy. That's likely when a wrestling analogy comes along. <laughs> that was with Frank, right? That was with Frank. So, um, but but he he's, and I don't have to script it with him. He's phenomenal on his feet. You you know, oh, yeah. having been in TV all these years, how valuable that is. And you're the it other, may be the most valuable asset right? because for all of the of the, the rundowns that you can look at. The improvisational skills, the ability to just say, put the light on, we'll yeah. figure it out. To me, is that, that is the most valuable skill that anybody can have, whatever your role may be. Just put the light on, we'll figure it yeah, out. But don't you think that, that that comes from having done your research? You can, oh, of course. You, you can relax and listen. Because if you're a little unsure what you're going to say and you're thinking about it or you're trying to script something, which we've all done, I've certainly done it, uh, you don't listen. And then if you don't listen, then you, you miss an opportunity for spontaneity. You know, one thing, Brandall, we've talked about this. You and I have discussed this. You'll never hear him say, and this comes out of the mouths of analysts everywhere. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Tell me why it's interesting. Don't, I mean, I get, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Is it's going to be interesting to find out what the, you know, it was interesting this afternoon. What was interesting about it? Yeah. You'll never hear Brandel say, it'll be interesting to see what happens this week. He's going to dive in and, based on his research, tell you what he believes will happen, based, again, not on a gut feeling, which you can't dismiss a gut feeling, but on the research that he's done. Here's, what I've, here's the conclusion I've come to. And it, it's uh, it's that simple. Well, you, you, you rage against cliches as yeah, a writer. Do. You do. Yeah. What, what's our, we, yes, try to, yes. we try to stay away from what's our one word. We try to stay away from. Well, the same way you you, you don't like to hear somebody say it's interesting. Um, we all have our peccadillos, but when I hear somebody say something that's iconic, iconic. Uh, right. I, I'm like, <laughs> we throw a penalty flag I'm on like, iconic. You know, there are some iconic things in the game of golf. The Royal and Ancient Clubhouse, uh, the, the, the Swilkin Bridge, the Yellow Leaderboard. There, there are very the few of them. That's why but they're that, iconic. But there's just a few. There's just a few. That uh, and the penultimate group, I know you're not a fan of that either. Well, no, I, I like to tease people about the penultimate group because I just like once to so hear somebody say the last group is the <laughs> ultimate group. Just if you're going to go penultimate, give me ultimate. I, I said this once in a break. Uh, with Tarico, uh, we were working at Augusta National, and I was teasing him about you know, his usage of penultimate instead of next to last. And he must have said penultimate 15 times then for the rest of the <laughs> show, just to, gonna, just the, to the get things me. Things we say in a broadcast that you would never say. No, at home. if you were, I would never it say to, to my your, wife, your "Hey, they're, they're in the penultimate, the penultimate group. group. They're the next to last group, exactly. honey, sweetheart. They're, they're the next to last group." Answer we're, your question. No, it, it honestly, yeah. it's not that. In my view, challenging to sit next to to, to Brandel. Um, I view it as as fun. Uh, here's that word, interesting. No, it, it it's. Uh, yeah, I wasn't I mean, saying no, no, so much no, in your I, role. I know what you're saying. Uh, as another are, analyst, are, you, the, the, I, I think it can be very intimidating. The, the challenge the challenge would be to make sure that I get the ball back to the basketball analogy. Get the ball to Paul or to Jaime yeah. or Rolf or whomever. Uh, and and I've been. Um, uh, Guilty sometimes of leaning too heavily on Brandle at the expense of the other analyst on the desk, and I have to be mindful of that. People, you know, can, can be sensitive sometimes. You know, when we come back from a segment, am I starting uh, with Brandle? You know, nine out of ten times, I need to 
make that five out of 10 or six out of 10 times, things like that, that would be, be the challenge, that's all. You know, Brandel, you read a ton, uh, and I love the written word. And one of the things about him that is, that is a, a skill that not many have in, in television, now a lot of writing is done for them, he does his own writing, and he's writing in real time. He's writing things that could change, and then he has to edit that stuff. And so for people who wonder, you know, what do they do all day? Well, you know, they, they, they have a meeting, they have a debate, they, they watch something, you know, go down a track and likely change from where it's going to be at the destination when you have to come on the air. But his ability to write is maybe the most important thing that, that ties the whole show together. Because, I, for example, at the end of the 2019 Masters, which I was lucky enough to walk every step with that, with that group, um, made the choice to do it, Man. dragged Ben Dong, wow. Dawn along with me. He begged to leave three times and I Golf wouldn't let him. Golf Dawn. Channel producer, who's now over you know, live broadcast. But his essay, that he didn't have a week to write that essay. No. He had no time. No, I mean, it's, it, it, I'll just say this, my wife loves the written word as much as I do. And so often when I'm on the show, you know, you're in break or, you know, you got shot sheets, it gets chaotic and you don't always hear every word. But I will often come home and my wife will go, did you hear what Rich said? Did you hear that? You know, and, and I, I'll hurdle stuff in my house to turn the TV off if I'm on. Uh, you know, nobody really likes the sound of their own voice or whatever, and I lived it, and I don't want to. But my wife will tape it and then pour a glass of wine, like, I want to listen to Rich's essay. I want to fully hear it. Just, you know, hold on, wait to hear this phrase. How does he do that? Now, Rich will write throughout the day, he'll write essays as they pop up. He'll write teases as we're going to break or coming out of break. We'll write bumps as you're going to break or out of break. And he gives birth to every phrase, every word, and they're, they're, they're beautiful. And, and it's, it's one of the things I most appreciate about Rich. I, I, as you guys just alluded to, I was just on a trip uh, in Greece, and we were on a boat for eight days, and there was no TV, no phones, no computers. And I cannot tell you how many times uh, these eight people talked about Rich's ability to keep the ball in the air and to do it interesting. And so, you know, our audience is a passionate golf audience. It's not lost on them. Uh, and by the way, they, they all wanted me to tell you they think you're amazing, you know. Uh, and, and, and so well, these well, are... Well, I'm sitting in Connecticut. <laughs> could, could, could they have... You didn't get the invite. I know is that. Is there not they another have, state over to Mykonos <laughs> to tell me in person? Uh, but, I appreciate but that. But it, it is, it is, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I, I sit there some nights and I just get lost. And, him telling telling a story, you know, and and because I I do I, I love the written word, uh, I, you know I know how hard it is to give birth to those thoughts, but it's also one of the great things that makes him such so good at improvisation is as you well know to write you got to get your wits about you you got to get your thoughts together, uh, you got to think of a, a compelling way and an interesting way to tell that mm -hmm. story, and to do that it helps you it helps you so much that's one of the reasons why. I do write on legal pads throughout the day is to get, get, my, get my thoughts together, organize them. Uh, and, and he does it all day. And when, he, when we're off for a month, he writes every day. He never stops. So, you know, I, I can't wait to get to these big events and to see what he's given birth to in the two, three weeks 
before we get there. He'll have an essay tonight, he'll have one Tuesday night, he'll have one Wednesday, and then he'll write three, four, five times throughout the day, and he does it in a room where there's people talking. Controlled chaos. Yeah, controlled chaos. I don't, I don't know how he does that. I really don't, but, uh, but we're, we're all better off for it. You mentioned, you mentioned Matt Haggerty's name a couple times, and I, I think that any, I was lucky enough to, to in a mod, very modest way, be around uh, game day, which is one of the most important properties in, in, in televised sports, at least fitting show, for many years. It's a great, great, show. great show. And, and you know, they're out uh, amongst the people, uh, which makes, uh, I think, it, there's another dynamic. And when, you, when you, you guys have experienced that, but Lee Fitting, for many years, was kind of the coach of that team. Um, and you got to know it, you got to love it, is something that I've always said specifically about golf. And, and Matt knows it and he loves it mm -hmm. to a way, Rich, that I don't know how it can be achieved to the degree to which you guys do it every night, unless you had somebody yeah. who had a, had a, you know, a fire in his belly that never embers. I mean, it just is always, it's an inferno. Fire's not the issue with no, Matt, it's Matt not. Haggerty, is it? I think it's necessary, <laughs> yeah. don't you? Yeah. Uh, Matt is, uh, a, I think, a golf purist. Fair to say that, right? Sleepy Hollow, uh, steeped in the game. His brother Timmy's a great player in the Mets section uh, of New York. Uh, and Matty is hardcore. Uh, in terms of, of making sure that our show is golfy, G-O-L-F-Y. Right? He never wants us to stray too far. He has a really good understanding of who our audience is. Uh, and, uh, but he doesn't browbeat us. And I, I, you know, with respect to what you do and what I'm allowed to do, which is right, he, in my case, he, he doesn't have to have a rich essay. The show would still be fine. Um, but he understands that, and I hope he thinks it has value, I'm, but, but I, I think on another level, he, he also uh, knows that it keeps me engaged all day long. If I have a piece to write, I'm in it all day long. I have a stake, I have, I have a bigger stake in it. And I think he understands your strengths really well. He understands Paul's strengths and Todd's, and everybody's, everybody's You've been on the show, Gary. Everybody comes to Matt. They want peace. They want a little real estate. I have this. I want to do that. I spoke to her. I, and Matt has to make some of those decisions. And as well, Alan Robeson, Jeff Fabian, yep. big uh, you know, parts of the team. Um, and they have to make that decision. How big a piece of real estate do you get? Or do, in some cases, hey, I can't, I can't do that tonight. You have to manage. Uh, the egos, you have to uh, be able to handle personnel. McGinley understands this. He calls it having been the Ryder Cup captain, and, and I think one of the best they've ever had. It's called man management. That's the phrase they use in Europe. Mm -hmm. You have to be or a you know, personnel manager. Um, and that's exceptional at it. And, and so you combine that, his, under, his understanding of what it is that fires you up, fires me up, writing, and his, his knowledge of the game, his, uh, his understanding of the audience, uh, and then you have to put all that uh, together, uh, and he, he's, he's masterful at it. it, it's, it why I say coach is that, you just said it, is that he's got to put together a play sheet, and he's got to run plays for everybody on the team, mm -hmm. and, and, and in order to cross the line while, while keeping every player motivated, like where are my plays? 
Like, where, when, when are you mm -hmm. coming to me? You look at the rundown when it comes out, right? Exactly. When are you coming to me? And that's what, that's what I think is, is so essential to the, to the role that he has. Let, let's talk about this week, because one of the things you do when you come on the air every night is what, what's on your mind. Mm. And, and there's, the fact is, there's too much on your mind for two hours. Mm. Um, when you, when you, how do you know you're going to lead with something? Is it so, I've, I've been in that trailer when I've heard that question. So what do you want to start with? Yeah. And, and then 90 minutes later, you move on to the next item. <laughs> I mean, I mean, right. And I've heard, right. some, I've heard some things, and it, it actually pisses me off at times. Because I'll go, why have I not thought of that? And, 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 and Jaime's capable of that. Jaime makes me think of things. I go, God damn it, I hadn't thought of it that way. And, and, and you do it as well. When do you know that you want to lead with something? You know, it, just comes, and you know, it just comes in the preparation. You know, when you, when you set alone uh, for, you know, generally before a big event, I'll have a week or two off, and you just sit there, and you just do your research, and you're thinking about it, and you're, you're cultivating ideas, and you're just thinking, okay, what, what has nobody thought about? Okay, what, what's out there? What am I missing? You know, all this stuff, you know, and also what's funny? What's not funny? What, what's pressing? What's, what, what's the bigger picture here? You know, like, so, so I'll give you one here, you know, so you're sitting around, you're trying to think, okay, what's at stake this week at the President's Cup? Okay, so we have the, the biggest disparity in world ranks that has ever existed in a team event since the team events began. And, and there's a lot that underpins that, right? You know, defections to live, four key players from the international side have, have off they've gone. And so now then they had to go deeper down into the world rankings. And so if you look at the average world rank of the international team compared to the U.S. team, you've got an average disparity of 35 and change, 35 different world ranking points and, and change. So you, so you think, okay, all right, this is going to be a blowout. It's, it's likely going to be a blowout. But okay, but on the other hand, what does the international side have a chance to do? They have a chance to do something that do doesn't happen very often, but when it does happen, it has such an echo, like this huge underdog, all right? How can they, how can they overcome? How can, they, how can Trevor Immelman not motivate his team? Because there's a big difference between motivating and inspiring. How can he inspire them? What message can he tell them? What can he give them? So in Europe, Tony Jacklin and Seve did this, right? They, they made the ego of the team substantially bigger than the 12 different egos on that team. Mm. And they did it by giving them a higher purpose to play for than just the wins and losses of a team event. And that echoed, right? So that, that, that imbued teams afterwards with a higher purpose than just going there to beat the U.S. side. Now, there were other complications to that. I don't think Phil Mickelson ever bought into the team, and so the team was always worse off. And Tiger Woods, not that he didn't buy into, he just made the team different because everybody's different around Tiger because he's Phil so was intimidated. Good at, Phil was good at the President's Cup. You, you have to concede that, which is a another subject, was, different animal than the Ryder Cup. He was good at times. He was good at times. And I, I'd say that, I, I would say that you know, he was playing a weaker team. Uh, and a weaker team, not just in world rank. Because when you look at the, the disadvantages of the international yeah. side, they're at, a, they're at a, a handicap, right? In Europe... You don't just get to play the Ryder Cup team. 
You get to play the Seve Cup. You get to play the Royal Cup. You get to play the European. Uh, you get to play on the uh, the Eisenhower or the World the World Cup. You get to play uh, on the European Amateur yeah. Team. So, if, like for example, Paul McGinley's going to be sitting over there today. He's played on 33 different national teams. Mm. 33. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the international side, you don't get to every single year play a team event. So you're playing less events. So you have you have. Uh, from a competition standpoint, uh, you've played less, right, in that format. Teams against team, international side against another team. And the concomitant risk of that or uh, fault of that is that you have less chance to come together as a team. So the team's not only less sharp, it's, it's, it's l less inclusive, I would say. And so how does Trevor Immelman get over that? And I, I'm thinking about all the different ways to get over that huge hurdle to make these 12 players better than they otherwise would be is, first of all, he's got to convince those four players that have filled in from the defections that you're worthy of being here. Mm -hmm. You're meant to be here. This is your time, right? I mean, and I think one of the greatest speeches ever given to a similarly underdog team going up against uh, a formidable and almost unbeatable opponent was the 1980 Olympic, uh, you know, the U.S. Olympic team against the Soviet Union. And that speech that Herb Brooks gave before they went out there, which I'm going to use tonight or tomorrow night, I haven't decided exactly when I'm going to use it, inspired his team to a higher purpose. So how would you do that to the international side? I was thinking about it today, I was, or last week. Look, the U.S. has, what, 400 million people? Europe has 700 million people? So that's 1.1 billion people. How many people are there in the world? Uh, 7.5 billion people. So that means the international side is playing for 6.4 billion people. In business, that's called ROW, rest of the world. So that's that's rest of the world. So the impact that this international team could make is on the rest of the world. Echo, you're going to inspire. Now, there's four South Koreans on this team. That's the most ever, right? And so so you, you can inspire the South Koreans. You can inspire the Colombians. You could, you could inspire the Chileans. You can inspire the Canadians. So you can have a, an echo around uh, the globe with what you do here this week. And then as it relates to, I, you know, I would say also, I would say, look, let me just tell you about this U.S. team. They play terrible at this golf course. They play terrible. This is, this is the best possible scenario for us. These guys, these 12 guys collectively, have had three top tens at Quail Hollow. Mm -hmm. In their entire career of playing the Wells Fargo. Few wins. Few wins. Holmes won it Holmes twice. won once. And, I, and if you include the PGA Championship, you got five top tens. Mm -hmm. Twelve players. So this is it'll not. It'll be played under, P, agronomically, it'll be like the PGA. It won't be like May when Holmes won it. Right. So, yeah. so when you, still though, five. Yeah, yeah. Five. That's 12 guys. This is not, I would say this is not Riviera. This is not Pebble Beach. This is not Augusta National. If we're looking for a golf course, that exposes the weaknesses of the U.S. side, you couldn't do better than Quell Hollow. Yeah. You couldn't do it. Not a, lot okay. of, not a lot of experience coming here either. That's Tom right. Tom has never been here. Jordan Spieth doesn't That's play right. here. Collectively, they've played 29 times in the Wells Fargo, and then, of course, they played the PGA Championship. So they don't have a lot of experience, but I'm looking yeah, for ways sure. to motivate them. And beyond that, since I've been watching golf, and I doubt you could ever find a bigger upset than what took place at Quell Hollow, the biggest upset I know where he's going. Is it? Derek Ernst, in 2013, won the Wells Fargo. He was 1,207th in the world. If the 1,207th player in the world can win on that golf course, because that's how unpredictable that golf course is, we can do it. Now, we can't beat him nine times out of ten, to Herb Brooks's point. 
but we could beat them this week. By the way, go look at the pictures. Trevor Immelman resembles Kurt Russell, who played Herb Brooks <laughs> I in I the like movie Miracle. And oh, by like the way, going with this. if he's able to engineer the greatest upset since, in golf since Y.E. Yang beat Tiger, about right? Yeah. Then uh, the New York Jets should call Joe Willie Immelman <laughs> immediately. Although the Jets won on Sunday, maybe the Jets, maybe the Jets are back. Um, the, the the fact that you slipped in a Derek Ernst drop uh, is next level because uh, I, I I really believe that's one of the great outlier wins. Forget here, anywhere. His his what he had done coming in and his career since, it, it's one of the great one offs. Yeah. In PGA Tour People history, will say ben, seriously, Ben Curtis was an upset. Oh no, no, no! Ben Curtis was 396th in the world. Yeah, I think compelling case. Um, a lot rides on how the eight rookies for the internationals play. Yeah, they, the rookies were terrible at Liberty National last time it was played in the United yeah. States. I think two eleven and one, and then in 2013, I'm sorry, rookies on foreign soil, uh, they weren't a whole lot better. So they need to get has to get some production. Uh, out of the rookies, and maybe um, a, a star emerges. Uh, Tom Kim, who won in North Carolina, looks mm -hmm. really good. Uh, what can they get out of the big hitter, Taylor Pendrith, who's 107 in the world? I mean, they, they are enormous long shots in this. It's I think the world rank disparity, to your point, is what the U.S. average is a, just a shade 12. under 12. Um, and Homa's coming here off a win. Uh, uh, nine players on the U.S. side in the top 15, not a single internationals in the top 15, though they have five in the top 30. Uh, this, is a, this is a tall ask, and I think with the internationals, it, it's what do they coalesce around? I think you made a good argument that it, you, you can be a team to remember. Uh, the freewheeling underdog against you know, the, the home favorite, and maybe they'll start to feel the pressure that, oh my goodness, we can't lose to, to this team. Um, I think also there are, there, there's only really one good outcome here that won't be met with negative blowback. And that is the internationals make it close. Mm -hmm. It's not over by before we get to Sunday. And oh, oh by the way, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's bulletin board material, and then there's you know what what the internationals are going to hear. They could wallpaper and carpet all of the clubhouse at Quail Hollow with the slights that are going to be sure. thrown uh, their way. Um, so uh, you. Know, I, I think the, the other outcome is the U.S. wins in a runaway. That calls into question the competitive legitimacy of the President's Cup going forward. Can the international side, and we'll have this discussion early in the week, can they survive uh, the, the losses yeah. uh, to Saudi Arabia, to, to live golf, uh, of, of the players who, who have gone there? Uh, they don't have what the U.S. has. They don't have the depth of talent. And the U.S. can survive the loss of Dustin Johnson and, and uh, DeChambeau, uh, DeChambeau and, and Brooks Kepka, who were, you know, Dustin was 5-0, and oh, yep. Bryson was unbeaten at Whistling Straits, the Ryder Cup. Internationals, they don't have that. And on top of that, that other disadvantage is, is just how geographically disparate they are. You're, you're talking about uh, 12 players, 7 countries, but 5 continents. And different languages. It's not like Europe and the Ryder Cup, where they, you know, mostly speak the same language. You might get a, a you know, years ago a Costantino Roca who, you know, didn't speak a whole lot of English, a little bit. Uh, but at least there, they had a common cause. They were playing for the European that, Tour, that, that's, that's which was it. the underdog tour. Who who were these guys playing for? That and and, the rest of the and world. look, right. You made that case, and Immelman. 
has as his number one job has been to find a unifying cause. That's why they developed I, I this, think Ernie this was, logo. Was, was, Ernie started it. Done, right. He, there was some traction there, and now it's been it's been impacted by these guys who have who and, have and left. Look, and live golf is is the is the elephant in the room in the first the first few days here. Uh, the, uh, and th this is maybe a little cynical on my part. Um, but I can't help but, but think this, that uh, players on both sides, rest of the world and the United States, have chosen to stand under the flag of the country that pays them the most money. And so we all love when they play for pride, when they play for something bigger than the buck. But that's a game that's getting harder to play, mm. isn't it? And, and I, I, think, I think this is an enormously important President's Cup. Uh, uh, because of that. That's why I think it needs to be close. I think it needs to be compelling. And I think going forward, they, they need to ensure that the great young players from Korea do not go to live, that, that Matsuyama stays. They've already, think about where we were the last time the President's Cup was played, 2019 in Australia. How, how good the global outlook appeared at Big that time. point. Yeah. Tiger had just won late October. He <clears> won <throat> the Zozo to Tai Sneed in Japan. Early November, McIlroy won in Shanghai, yeah. in China. And then we had the, the, the December drama uh, down under where the internationals led going to singles. And, and the U.S. came storming back with Tiger Woods unbeaten as the, the playing captain. And you had a player uh, from China. You had uh, Latin America represented, South Africa and Japan mm -hmm. and Korea. And so n now they've lost the two best players from Latin America in Joaquin Neiman mm -hmm. and Abraham Answer. They've lost the best player from Australia in Cameron Smith. They lost the best player from India who played in 2017, Anurban Lahiri. They if, if they want to continue to, to make this global push, I'm talking about the PGA Tour, not the sport as a whole, the PGA Tour, it's imperative that they 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 stem that tide. Yeah, I, I understand out of sight, out of mind, and the tour has enough depth to keep going and to be healthy. But but as it relates to this sort of global push, it's not as ro the outlook's not as rosy as it was when we left Australia in 2019. Totally agree. I you know, <clears throat> I was going to ask you this question, but I want to pose this to you because on the on the U.S. side. This is now Team USA. This is not a President's Cup team. It's not a Ryder Cup team. The, 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 the minds that, that impact the makeup of these rosters share time for both properties, for both teams. Uh, they, are, they are now, it, it's not like, well, if you're a captain of one team, you've been disqualified to captain the other. That's not the way it is. This is Team USA. And they made a big pivot. I thought at Whistling Straits, and, and whether one of those guys, whether it be DJ most likely, DeChambeau, Kepka, if they were on this side, whatever. DJ was, was the oldest player at Whistling Straits. And now all these guys are not only younger, they, are, they, they have these natural partnerships where for so many years it's like, who's he going to play with? Who's he going to play with? And a lot of it's centered around Tiger. Is there a heartbeat of this team or, or is it a collective? Because I don't know who it is. I don't know who the glue guy is on Team USA. Thomas. I, by, you by think I it's pick, Justin Thomas. I, pick a guy, I, I feel like it's, it's Justin Thomas. I just, there's, there's a 
of fire. There's a Bobby Hurley quality Thomas. to him. It's the son of a PGA professional, third generation PGA uh, professional. There, there's a pride in in country. I, f I feel from from Thomas. Not, not that the other guys don't have it. Sure. I just, it feels like Thomas's partnership with Spieth, I think, has been pretty successful. And I think you'll you'll I think that along with Cantlay and uh, and Shoffley, those are the you know the two sort of anchor teams. You're going to see but Burns you, you've with Scheffler. The, these yeah. guys have, and it's it's it's. I think it's daunting. Not only this week, but going forward for Europe. And they've got to go do something in Europe next year. They haven't done since since 93. It'll be 30 years. Um, do you agree that Thomas is kind of the heartbeat of the team? I do. But I, I think this team is just so full of enthusiasm uh, and a generosity of spirit for the team concept, uh, which was, I think, something that was hugely lacking uh, in, in certainly the Ryder Cup. And, and look, I, I would say to a large extent, even the President's Cup, even though that they've They've been uh, successful. The international side hasn't enjoyed the same impetus to passion that the European side has. So the U.S. team is facing a, a, a much less formidable opponent year after year in the international side than they face in the, in the European side. That European side has been imbued with passion from Tony. They've had several captains and one significant player that have really extended that legacy. Uh, but on the U.S. side, these players would have grown up watching the U.S get their hat handed to them mm -hmm. at, the, at, the, at the Ryder Cup. So, you know, as time went on, I got to believe, and it seems that way to me, that it was like not on our watch. You know, it, it means a lot to these players. So you, you've alluded to Justin Thomas. It's hard to uh, certainly argue with that. But, but I would say uh, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, Jordan Spieth. But even I have no doubt that the reason Billy Horschel is on this team is because of the vocal stance that he's taken. Yes, he is a, is a marvelous player. But the vocal stance that he has demonstrated Fair against point. Liv, yeah. as you're sitting there as a captain, you think, who do I want in that room? Yeah, the guy can drive it great. Yeah, the guy can put his rear off. But that guy has stood out for his stance because all along you were like, okay, I want players to come out and voice dissent. And it's a tough thing to do because the minute you do that, you become a target to all the trolls on Twitter, but to players, you make yourself um, visible to dissent. And he took that on. And that's a leadership role. And so you, you have Billy Horschel on there now. And, 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 and I think, you know, when you, when you start to add all those leadership qualities up, Scotty Scheffler has leadership qualities. Mm -hmm. They have a built-in team with Sam Burns. They have a built-in team with Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, Kevin Kisner is the perfect guy, even though I've looked at him in the past and thought, if the golf course is too long, yeah. he's not a threat. But in this particular golf course, he did play well in the PGA in 2017, yep. right? You've already alluded to the fact that they're going to set it up more like the PGA than Wells Fargo, which is good. Uh, but he's the perfect guy to break hearts in, in match play. 22-7-1 is his match play record uh, at, uh, at the event in, in Austin, the WGC match play event. He was undefeated in 2017 in the President's Cup. So clearly, he excels at, at match play. So all those touch points are so formidable. Again, the task for the international side, you couldn't get a bigger mountain to climb. But again, back to Herb Brooks' mm. speech, and I would play it for those guys. Uh, it starts with, you know, I believe it starts with, you know, great moments come from great opportunity. And, and that's how he starts that speech. You guys were born to be here. You were born hockey players. And on and on he goes. All the way through there, he's not, he's not, he's not saying we got to win. You got to win. 
He's inspiring them to a higher purpose. So that's why I'm excited. You know, as I come in here, I'm like, okay, Trevor Immelman, he's done the right thing. He's got KJ Choi for the four South Koreans, right? He's got Mike Weir, who's given a speech tonight, okay? And I promise you, Mike Weir's given a speech tonight to this team. Mike Weir will kill it in that speech. Mm. He will kill it in that speech. I promise you he will. And in that speech, he's got Corey Connors and Ter Taylor Pendrith on that team. He's got Canadians on there. He's got a, a Colombian on there, Sebastian Munoz. What did he do? He's got Camilo Vajegas. Camilo Vajegas is hugely popular. He will be marvelous because, you know, if you've ever heard Camilo Vajegas speak, he speaks with great passion. So his assisting, he's filled in the blanks with these assistant captains Trevor Immelman has because I think Trevor Immelman, and I think he would agree with this, that he would have benefited from doing this job because you, you quit being just this individual golfer, which is the most selfish thing you can do. It's like selfish. You're just a golfer in those golf balls. You come up here and it's a team concept. So I think Trevor would have gained so much experience from what it takes to do TV. It's the ultimate team game. And his analytical mind with the, the experience he had at building a team in TV, I think, and the fact that he's now going to be the lead analyst at NBC. So he's, a, he's ascended CBS. to a, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. not NBC, CBS. He's ascended to a, a, a leadership role in the game of golf. All of that, I think, will percolate through this team. So I'm giving this team a, a better chance than I otherwise would have for all uh, those reasons. Trevor's taken two jobs in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, President's Cup captain and lead analyst at CBS. I would argue that the job at CBS comes with a little bit more pressure and a little, bo both jobs invite criticism, we know that. But I think the one at CBS brings more pressure because I think the heat's off here. The, the expectations are low, at least that's from outside that team room. I have no doubt Trevor expects his team and believes his team will perform. And Trevor, we always look at this too with the captains. How are they... Uh, with the media. How well do they speak, present themselves? Trevor's been excellent, and he will not get outworked. Reminds me a little bit of yeah. McGinley. Mm -hmm. He will not get outworked no. here. He has, there, there is no stone uh, unturned, left unturned for Trevor Immelman. If they lose, it won't be because mm -hmm. Immelman made the wrong calls. Uh, he's every data point, all the research analytics that, that both teams now use, Everything's been exhausted. Assistant captains chosen with purpose and thought. Uh, if they lose, it'll simply be because uh, the talent gap is, is just too wide. It, one other thing about Trevor, he has, this is intensely personal to him in terms of Charlotte. Um, he has very dear friends here. A gentleman, Rich Davies, who's South African, very successful gentleman in commercial real estate, lives on the 15th hole, which will play as the 12th hole this week. Um, Rich was a place kicker on the 1981 Clemson football team and has been a mentor in life uh, and introduced him to Dabo Swinney, the head coach at Clemson. And Trevor was there Saturday night. I can promise you Dabo Swinney is going to be, it, it, these international players are going to go, I don't know where he's from, but, but he's not from South Africa. When they hear Dabo, they, they will be messaging from the head football coach at Clemson to the international is he side. sending a video in? Uh, I, uh, I don't know that for certain, but I would, I, would, I would put all my chips in the middle that they will hear from him. They are, Dabo and Trevor are very close. So Trevor's got a good record here, too. He lost in a playoff one year here at Wells yeah. Fargo. So he's, he's played well. He knows the golf course. And I, I agree with all your comments about Trevor. I think he's got a great opportunity 
Nobody expects these guys to win. Right. Nobody. No. Not only do they not expect them to win, they expect it to be a massive blowout. Could be over by Saturday so, night. So, so, yeah. that, so that's empowering. It's like they've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, Lee Trevino used to go into the media center masterfully Saturday nights, head to head with Jack Nicholas, and spend the entire time talking about how great Jack was. And that, and, and, and the whole time he was doing it, it was all true, Jack is that great, but it was masterful in that he was pumping him up. Jack's even spoken to this. It was like, you know, he, he felt the fact that he was the person who was meant to win, and, and Lee Trevino positioned himself as this underdog with no chance where he had everything to gain and nothing to lose. And that can be very powerful. To your point though, real quick, I'll just say, yeah. the data points, who plays with who and all that, yes, that's important. You have to do personality research and know who pairs well with who. But it's the messaging that matters more than any of that. He's got to message, he's got to be on point. He's got to give these guys something higher, some higher purpose than just beating the U.S. side. I mentioned the rookies need to play better. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to be better in foursomes. They've gotten waxed in the foursomes. Uh, I think you know, Sung J.M. Mm -hmm. needs to be a star. He was great in 2019. Yeah. He was 3-1-1. One one. His last five starts, he's had three runner-up finishes. Um, you know, we need him to go to even a higher level, yeah. I mentioned Tom Kim, and then the two veterans, uh, Adam Scott and Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. They have to have good weeks, for really, sure. Really good weeks. I think this matters to Adam Scott. We're, we're sort of all wondering what the future holds for Adam Scott. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned um, about Australia's impact on the PGA Tour, and have we lost the Australians? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, the, the greatest Australian of them all is long gone. That's Greg Norman. And I, I, I think back how quickly and dramatically things changed to 2009 in the President's Cup. And Norman was the captain in San Francisco opposite Freddie Couples. And on that memorable Saturday when Stricker made everything partnered with Tiger and then Tiger had the I'm really good twirl oh, yeah. on the cut three iron on the last hole. And when it was over, Norman embraced Stricker, and the comity, the goodwill that was evident there. <laughs> the distant, it's a distant memory, um, but, but we've lost the best Australian player, plus Mark Leishman and Greg Norman. They've had an enormous impact on the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. Going all the way back, you know, Thompson didn't essentially right. play the tour, but, but if you go just to the, the, you know, the 80s and 90s, and David Graham and Wayne Grady and Steve Bruce Elkington Graham. and Stuart Appleby and Bruce Crampton, if, if, it would be, it'd be terrible if the tour lost that. That's another sort of flank that I think they have to try to protect. It's gonna be difficult now with Smith having gone and with Norman leading the way over there, um, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of intrigue still out there, I mean, I, think, I think a lot of that animosity comes from the wraparound season that the PGA Tour had. And, Agreed. And, and how that cut it, into... Agreed. Really? You know, yes. Oh, yeah, they decimated, yeah. decimated some of their biggest tour, events. Whatever, I mean... They, but some it, of the guys it, used to go down there, right? I mean, they, yeah, they, they went, did, speed but they went going. down, Tiger they, went they, down. They, they, no? they, quit, they quit going when this wraparound season started. I mean, those events, because the, even the Australians would come play, because they're not only getting higher world ranking points, they're getting FedEx Cup points. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, and so I, I feel like the Australians uh, look at with 
with some loathing. That wraparound, that, of course, that mm. wraparound season is going away. And so that means that the Australian tour, you know, has got a chance to sort of come back and get back on its feet, which maybe will do something to... Uh, but you have some uh, concerns, as I do, about, you know, uh, Australia yeah, look, going forward I, and you the know, PGA I've, Tour. I've, I've read their posts, and, they, you know, they're, they're, they, they like to say that, you know, the PGA Tour destroyed the Australian Tour. And it was like, well, you know, yeah, the wraparound season probably definitely cut into their strength of field, and that had a lot to do with the money going away. And, and so, you know, I don't say that the PGA Tour did it on purpose. It was just their business model, you know, to keep guys engaged all year long. But they've rethought that business model, and, and, it, and it'll make the, European, or the Australian Tour better, I think. Question for both you guys, if, if I could. Should live players be allowed to compete in a President's Cup no, or a Ryder Cup? I, 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 why I, or why not? <laughs> Well, they have they have made they've made a choice. They're playing for that tour, and you can say, well, PGA Tour players and, and the European Tour, there there is there's a there's a huge chasm between the PGA Tour and Live. And the fact is, they've not only gone to play there, they've they've gone there with with upfront money. They're employees of Live Golf, and they're not independent contractors playing here, there, and everywhere. They've made a choice, and by making a choice, you've disqualified yourself. If you're not a member of the PGA Tour, you're not a member of the PGA of America. You ha that, is your, that is the category by which you play out of to become a member of the Ryder Cup team as a PGA Tour member. That's a specific PGA of America category is your Class A certification. And as far as the, the, you know, the, the President's Cup, it's a PGA Tour property. No. My answer is no. Yeah, look, and, and, I, and I, I would say, look, if Liv really did want to get along in the world, if they really did, as they say, cooperate with the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour, which is so, so much of a patent lie that it's hilarious and hardly worth addressing, but if they really did, if that was true, if that were a true statement, what they would have done is they would have looked at the PGA Tour schedule, they'd have looked at the DP World Tour schedule and said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hold events that are that are either on weeks where you don't have events, difficult thing to do on the PGA Tour, or they're on weeks where you don't have big events. And we're certainly not going to go into North America and, and compete and try to poach your best players from North America. But right now you allow three releases. Okay? So how about you continue with your three releases to the PGA Tour? You give the best players, those three releases, to come play in these events. And you alternate the best players playing those three releases so that we always get a shot at filling our tournaments with some of the best players in the world. But we're going to really go do it in places where we're growing the game and do the same thing with the DP World Tour. They didn't do that. They came into the meeting in Malta with the DP World Tour where the Live guys came in and they, 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 they stiff-armed them, they, they, they strong-armed them, not stiff-armed them, they did both, but uh, they said essentially we want all the control, we want all the power, and if you don't give it to us, we're going to back out, we're going to try to best to decimate your tour. And the overtures that they've made here in North America say the same thing, we want to decimate your tour, we want to destroy your tour. So why would you allow those players who've agreed, by the way, and it's not like they're just competing on another tour, they're competing for a murderous dictator who is so clearly trying to launder his reputation. So they're involved, in my view, in something nefarious. And they have decided to put their lot under MBS's, Mohammed bin Salman's leadership. So go play for them. Create your own 
team competition. Find another competitive tour to go, you know, I want to see Dustin Johnson uh, and, and, and I want to see Cameron Smith, all playing under the banner of, of the, 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 Saudi, the Saudi Arabia tour, which is, it's, that's where they're playing. That's your tour. Let's see you compete. Go find yourself. Go, go create your own equivalent of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Try to cr create your own compelling narrative in the world of golf. Uh, we're going to do our thing, you do your thing. So no, I don't think they should be a part of the team. Hardly. They're trying they're, to they're, destroy the team. Yeah, and talking to some people who work for sports properties that have done some business with the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund, by extension, the, the Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia government, they do not want teammates. They do not want to play well with others. They want to own whatever it is that they decide that they want to enter into. And whether it be F1, whether it be golf, whether it be soccer to varying degrees, they're not interested in being a good teammate. They're just not. I think you know, we get the what about. You know, what about China? What about you know, hundreds of American companies, you know, prominent companies that either uh, have investment from sure. uh, the Sovereign Wealth Fund or do business in and, and or with uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, this is not an opinion here. What, what I'm, I'm just trying to explain how companies might view it and why it does impact the PGA Tour's business model. If DeChambeau or Mickelson or Dustin Johnson were to drop in and, and play uh, a tournament, uh, you know, pick the tournament on the PGA Tour, that sponsor is potentially going to hear from shareholders, from board members, that you're, you're, dam yeah. you're damaging That's a great in point. consorting with somebody who has formed an alliance or, or you know, gone into business uh, in, in this manner uh, with this Saudi-backed league, you are, by association, damaging my brand. I'm hearing about it from point. our board members. That's why, however you, you feel about it, you know, that, that's why you know, the tour is, you know, I think in part giving, giving the Heisman. It, and, and on top of it, I think the tour feels as though it's our platform from which they've built their brands, on which they've built their brands. You know, the, the, the tour sort of, you know, has a system, ladders of success, the uh, PG Tour Latino America, uh, uh, the tour in Canada, et cetera, and the Corn Ferry Tour, you know, where they grow their, their talent. Uh, Live Golf is simply, you know, allowing the the guys to grow uh, their resumes and their brands on the PGA Tour. Big win up! They're coming for Cam Smith. They're coming for whomever is the latest major winner. Um, they're just sort of poaching with, and it's it's within their rights. And I want to be clear: the players are absolutely free to do do what they're doing. May not be the choice you would make or that I would make. They're free to do what they're, they're doing. But I think you know, there are some consequences, and I think it's important that, you know, that people understand the, the, the total picture. Again, you may not agree with it, but, but it does have an impact on the tour's business in terms of potentially allowing these guys to, as Jay calls it, double dip and come back and play. They're, they're gonna, Jay would have to answer to, 
I don't know how many sponsors, but he'd probably have to answer to some sponsors. Why? He'd have to answer to his membership. And his membership. That, that's a whole other, that's a whole other matter. Now, you guys, yeah, so. you, first of all, you guys need to go to work. Let me just point out, no Tiger, no Rory. Didn't talk about the schedule. Don't have time. You have a job to do. But you are not getting out of here without answering these five quick questions. Rich, I'll start with you. Who is the best at what you do that you've ever seen? Van Pelt. Okay. Scott Van Pelt. Uh, Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Charles Barkley, too. Yeah. Uh, Charles Barkley is amazing. He has other skills that are involved in that besides the analytical side, but the, the levity and the goodwill he brings to a set is amazing. Okay. Uh, Randall, who will be a critical voice once their playing career ends? Doesn't necessarily mean they do television, but they will be heard and it'll matter. Who will that be? Yeah, Rory. You know, uh, you know, at some point, Rory is going to ascend to a, a prominent role in the game of golf outside of what he's doing with his clubs. But, uh, but Rory, I can't think of anybody better to uh, ascend to that role. Rory. Rory. Okay. I, I, I think I, I would say, I've talked about this with one of my, my great friends, uh, he's a huge fan of, of Rory's. Rory needs to do one more thing. That's an absolute <laughs> must in terms of his career. Has, has to win. Augusta has to win the Masters, complete the career Grand Slam. I think when all said and done, just the way he speaks, the, the authenticity, a little bit has a little bit of Arnold Palmer in him in that he's had some some heartbreaking, gutting losses. I think he has a chance to be yeah. the most beloved, I'll say, European player of all time. And Se Sebi was. Uh, Beloved, certainly, but you know, Seve was mercurial in a way that, that Rory is not. Not, not he universally was while he right. was playing. Yeah. A lot of it is Rory, heartbreak because of his early Rory, death. And... Rory might well be uh, America's favorite player. Oh, I, I think right, 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 think right, at, the, right at the moment. Is. Yeah, uh, not perfect. And, and, Rory, and media and, and right. media adulation as well. So, All right, yeah. um, Rich, the live from venue you want to take the show to that you've never been to. Cyprus, maybe, for a Walker Cup? I, 25 we, Walker Cup. That's we, what I have written on the could page. We, could we, if you don't say it, you would have been scolded. <laughs> By the way, I'm doing the Steve, I can't, I'm doing the Stevens Cup, great college golf event down at Seminole, which had the uh, Walker Cup. Fantastic. Uh, next month. The fact that, that, that places like Seminole, which just had the Walker Cup in Cyprus, are having these events uh, is great. Yeah, I don't I mean, know how you could beat the Walker Cup, uh, you know, every year that they play it. Uh, you know, the, the, the team events, uh, you know, the Curtis Cup, the Solheim Cup, the Walker Cup. And the, the Rotas for those events? St. Andrews you know, for the Walker they're, Cup. They're, they're, Curtis they're, Cup at Marion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, yeah they're epic. And to, and to be on site at those events is, uh, well, there's nothing else like it because it's the closest thing we get to game day, you know, mm -hmm. recreating that scene. Yeah. All right. Um, the best debate that happened in the trailer that didn't make it on the air Gosh, uh, that happens a lot. Um, the best debate that didn't make it on the air, that didn't make it on the air. Uh, gosh, I, I can't remember one that didn't make it on the air, um, to be honest with you. Um, Whether the food truck on A1A <laughs> in Jacksonville Beach was a legitimate, the taco food truck in the, in the parking lot of the gas station, whether or not that's a legitimate <laughs> post-show meal. That was a, a, 
a hearty debate we had. I'll, I'll say this though, and you, I think you'll agree, <laughs> so we, we do have those debates, but we also have, if they, do, if they don't make it on the air, it's because they, they get kicked around until, until you realize uh, you were wrong. And you're like, oh, okay, you're right. I, I'm, I'm convinced, or somebody else will be convinced. We had a debate, where was that debate, where we were debating the best and most historic 18th hole in golf. That was a good one. And I'm telling that you, we... That was a good one. And, you got pissed. And I did get pissed. <laughs> and and I, one, got, I got one, pissed both in the meeting. Was it, was it 18 at Marion? 18 at Marion. Didn't make the list. So I'm, didn't know, make the list. So, uh, See, I mean, thank you. But, but you have to give what was... Well, know. hold on. So, you know, you start to do that, and you're like, well, this hole, that hole. Uh, but from historic reasons... Uh, both the picture that High Peskin shot and mm -hmm. the shot, and you had a great line about the the picture. I forget what it was. But and uh, so anyway, I, we get argued. Justin Rose probably had a better shot. So um, um, yeah, yeah, but that was with a four iron, <laughs> and it went off the back of the green. Nice shot, Justin. Uh, the green but, was harder than this table. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think that was the case true. in 1950. That's true. That's true. That's true. But anyway, so we we had this debate, and for whatever reason, I kept getting shot down on the 18th hole at Marion. And I was like, how are you guys <laughs> shooting that down? Like, that's ridiculous. And, and I mean, we got pissed. You got hot. And, and so at the end of the meeting, I thought, okay, I think I've convinced them that that's on there. So, and I was like, this thing can't go on indefinitely. Give me these five holes. Everybody had their hole. I had that hole. We get up on the set, and we're now at second uh, minutes, two, three minutes to come on the air. And like, oh, let me just show you these five holes. And it's going through, it's going through, and I'm busy, I'm talking, and I'm like, hold on, was 18 Marion not there? And it wasn't there. And so now we're a minute, and I have to make my case again in that last minute. And so by that point, it's the only time Fabian's ever yelled at me, <laughs> our producer at that time. And, and he, you know, he's like, all right, we'll put it in. And you know, the next thing you know, it came up seamlessly. So that was, and those are the kind of things that yeah, we yeah. debate. Yeah. The, the, they may seem like, why are you debating that? But uh, everybody had a good, good, uh, good reason for their whole. In terms of golf geekery, can you just share the, you know, a story of like Kevin uh, Casey and Ari Marcus? Uh, These two, two, two young, young men guys who are who are, who are phenomenal researchers. Jake Abrahams and, and, is and really not good too. not just not just finding information. Loving golf, they have they have a, a, a depth to them that it's not you, just they're yeah. not just number crunching. You'll blurt out like, "Hey, I'm trying, you're doing your research. Hey, who uh, who finished third in the 1952 match? Snead, you know, and they could like oh. 20. What, what well, not only that, the two of them, they they could go an hour over who was a better ball striker, Mito Pereira or yeah. Orville Moody. And, and you'd be like, well, why are you put those two together? Well, they both had this move, and they'd know the move. And then, and then Ari would say, well, Orville played these shafts, which are similar to Mito Pereira's. And Kevin Casey would go, no, he switched those shafts in, 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 in 70 after he won the U.S. Open. And then they'd just dive into it and start screaming at one You guys another. need to Ari buy Kevin a package of lessons. The one thing he lacks <laughs> is a game of any kind. Oh, is he Ari? Is no, he no, he can't play dead no. Ari has a breakdown that he prepared that got shelved. We ran out of time uh, on footwork that I think is going to air this week yes, with respect to yes, Scotty Scheffler. Yes, right? He's really proud of that, and yeah, for whatever reason, it was, it was great. So I was tour I, championship I had, weekend. I had tasked Ari, who's like a mad scientist, uh, with coming up with this uh, breakdown about footwork because it's specific to Scotty Scheffler and. Everybody's like, well, I've never seen footwork like that. And I'm like, well, no, Walter Hagen moved his feet like that. Bobby Jones moved his feet like that. So 
We have this sort of chronological history of people with what people used to call sloppy footwork, but now it's how you move your feet for power. Anyway, Ari spent an entire day doing this breakdown. I mean, he grinded on it, and he, and, and he was so proud of it, and he sent it to me. This was about two months ago. He sent it to me, and then at the last minute, something changed in the show, and we didn't have time for it, and I just felt terrible. I was like, oh my God, you worked 10 hours on this thing, and it's, I was like. I think Cron Sercier ran long. Yeah, probably. Uh, that day, probably. And, and the show got, probably. got squeezed. Yeah, well, George Clooney minutes. was at Cron Sercier, so we He's had to got, do it. By the way, we, we had to do Clooney. I don't think yes? so. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't think so. But, uh, but anyway, I said to Ari, I said, Ari, put that over there, and let's save it for the President's Cup. Let's do it. And, you know, Ari all said, perked back up. He was like vindicated. So yeah, at some point tonight, tomorrow. Wait, can I give you one? It's long, but it's worth it. I could get in trouble here. What the hell? With his breakdowns, right? You know, I might ask, I might be on the set, I'm going to say, hey, I won't even name a name here. So-and-so struggled today. Uh, uncharacteristic partner with a little uh, 76 today. What'd you see? Anyway, that takes, let me go, it takes me all the way back to my dad's driving range. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I've told you about Frank Stock. Oh, yeah. The oh, old yeah. pro. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. Unfiltered camera. Yeah, oh, yeah. Looked like Robert Loggia, slick, but you know, great actor who was in the movie with Tom Hanks. Was it? Uh, he was also in Jagged Edge. Jagged Edge. Okay. He was, he, he, yeah. he, he was in Scarface. Uh, yes. Robert he owned the Mercedes anyway, dealership. So Frank Stocky was our, was our pro. Got a couple of He was a hustler, gambler, boozed. Worked in a battery plant at night, but hustled lessons by day at our, my dad's range in Pennsylvania. And we used to sit around just like this, 10 in the morning. We were 16, 15, 17 years old, three brothers, all my friends. And Frank, uh, one morning, said, I led the Reading Open one year, by the way, in case you're interested, shot 69 the opening round. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Playing the lottery, drinking, you know, vodka at the King George across the street, smoking unfiltered camels. And, and well, who, who was in tournament, Frank? How about Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan, and Sam Snead, in case you're interested? I'm like, Jesus Christ. We had legitimate tournaments. I was already a budding reporter. I knew the appropriate follow up question, which was, would you shoot the next round? Well, Frank was one of the great. You've seen him. Oh, yeah. going, great cigarette smokers. That's a segment we need to do one day. He was one of the great cigarettes at the top of that. <laughs> so Frank could, when he flicked, and for emphasis, he could flick it. It was like an Adam Vinatieri end over end, you know, 47 <laughs> yard field goal. You're like, shit, that was impressive. And out comes the smoke through the nose. Went out that night, got drunk, got, came back, shot 81, and missed the bleeping cut. <laughs> I was, I was the wondering answer. how you were going to clean that up, so, by the way. So let me go back to on the set. When I'm with you and I, so-and-so has struggled today. He's been playing great golf. And you go into one of your long breakdowns, right, about what he got past the line here. You know, got a little too much forward shaft lean. And when they cut away to me and I appear, which is part of my job, to be earnestly nodding in agreement, right, that earnest anchor look, like, yeah. Okay. Just know that what I'm really thinking is, oh shit, he went out last night, got drunk, got the, came back, said 81. Now look, 20, 30 years ago, you might have been right. Not you now. Had a no, they, hey, they're not embedded. Now. 10 drinking milk was not now. Not now. Not now. Man, huh? not now. They're, they're in the gym, world, they're ripped. Speaking of which, just the last question. So, for a kid from the Lehigh Valley and a, a little urban cowboy from Irving, Texas, what's your guilty pleasure? 
pleasure. Um, Dr. Pepper, uh, plate of nachos. And Fritos. Uh, I would, regular I would, Fritos? Uh, yeah, regular Fritos. I had a nutritionist Not the once. chili cheese Fritos. I had a nutritionist <laughs> once when I've I was heard this 18 talking to them about healthy snacks. And I, and I was like, well, what about Fritos? And she was like, well, Fritos is just corn and oil. It's fine. You know? And I was like, really? And like, yeah, it's just corn and oil. If you're going to have a guilty pleasure, Fritos, you could do worse than Fritos. So I, I haven't had a Dr. Pepper in a couple of months, um, which is a long time for me. But You're in the right part of the world to have a Dr. Pepper. Texas is the right part of the world to have a Dr. Pepper. But if I, well, have I, could, I could go all Texan on you. I could go Dr. Pepper, Shiner Bach, Bluebell ice cream, and Whataburger. Now that's a hell of a day. And those are all, <laughs> and those are all guilty pleasures. <laughs> How about you? Uh, my wife's red velvet cake and pizza. I still... I love a good pie. Mm -hmm. yeah. Listen, I hope you both have a great week. I know you're, you're happy to be here and happy to do something you love because I know you both love it. And Thank you for taking the time. One, one great thing about our, our new colleague, Paul McGinley. Yes. How, how good's Paul been? I know you spent, mm -hmm. well, you and Bailey mm -hmm. spent a week with Paul. He was He's such yeah. a generous yeah. host in Ireland. You know, he, I can't say enough about him. Uh, from an accomplishment standpoint, yeah. is unbelievable. But from a leadership standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, from a social awareness standpoint, mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever met anybody better than Paul at humility, uh, about paying attention. You know, uh, you know, I'll just give you, you know, makeup. You know, he knows their names. He'll find out what they like. He'll bring gifts. Uh, <clears throat> you're at tournaments. He knows everybody's name. He knows mm -hmm. their wives' names. He takes care of details when he's on the set. There's a generosity of spirit mm -hmm. there and, yeah. and, a, and a trust that I have in him uh, to come at it from a completely different angle. Love debating with him. Uh, I love everything about the guy. You know, I, you know I, I, I find him to be one of the most impressive people I've ever met I in my agree life. With you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. well, I uh, did the Irish Open that Rom won at Lahinch a few years ago. Yeah. Paul, Paul was the host that week, and it, it, my, my wife came with me. He asked us. Great it, week. Uh, one of the five best tournament weeks in my 20, almost 26 years of covering golf was that week. Right. A little seaside town, stayed up just with Paul on the hill. You walk down the, the tournament, but Paul handling ran. the details. Every little detail, right, right. down to the carnival-like, uh, kid-friendly atmosphere they had in town all week. La Hinch is, a special. is such a special place. But yep. anyway, Sunday night it was all over, and he had all, a lot of the members and tournament staff um, in, in a ballroom at the club. And my wife, Robin, and I were in the back. And as he got started making his remarks, first thing, he said, I just want to acknowledge the media. And you know how savvy he is. I want to acknowledge the media. Without the, without the press, we don't get the coverage. We don't get, the, you know, get this beam to, to the world. And I just want to, to acknowledge. Mm. And he points to, and my friend in the back of the room, please stand up. And his wife, Robin, Rich Lerner, one of the, Great. He said something wow. very nice mm. in front of the. He didn't have to do it. To your point, his awareness is is keen. Um, I I think Paul. People look at me curiously when I say I think he's one of the greatest success stories in the history of golf. Is why do I say that about a guy who won four mm, European right. tour events, right. uh, never a major? Uh, I say that because when he was 19, he was a Gaelic football mm -hmm. player in Ireland, very good one, like his father. He wrecked his knee, 
and his career was over at the age of 19. He was a four handicap, good golfer, but not great. He goes to Brussels to work for the European Union, a desk job. He's going to begin his career, his life in, in the world. No thought of professional golf. He starts to play a little bit more. While he's in Brussels at a club there, he meets an American business person who had a contact. You might remember Gordy Severson, mm -hmm. who was one of the early pioneers of TaylorMade, was coaching U.S. International in San Diego. And Paul gets this idea. He'd never been to America. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could go play college golf. And Gordy was a great character and a, and a wonderful teacher, said, I don't have a scholarship for you, but if you come, and you prove yourself, then we'll see. Every morning, sunrise at Torrey Pines, hitting balls. Two years later, Paul McGinley was on the Walker Cup team, and tw roughly 20-odd years later, he was the captain of the European Ryder mm. Cup team. And I remember I spent a full day with Paul and his teammates um, in San Diego. He gave a full day in the run-up to the Ryder Cup in 2014 for our crew to come out and find out who is he. And I could see in that day the way his former teammates, there probably were five guys who came that day, and they played a little fun little match, the way they reacted to Paul mm. and what they had to say about him. And I wrote a line, and it was written from my heart, not, not out of any disrespect for the great Tom Watson, but I wrote a line in the profile. America has the legend. Europe has the leader. Mm. And, I, and I, 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 I could see it. He, he had it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to, to have won four times and, and to be chosen to lead the European Ryder Cup team tells you everything you didn't know about how they view Paul um, in, in Europe. And that's why I said I think he's, you know, four handicap Ryder Cup captain. That's yeah. why he's one of the great success stories I've ever yeah. come across. Let me, let me give you one quick story about, <clears throat> I think, what underscores all those points you made is I was playing practice around with Paul and hanging out with Paul. He had lifelong friends all around him. You know, a mechanic, a plumber, an accountant, you name it. I mean, they were all walks of life. They were all around him. Some of them, you know, I knew came from modest backgrounds. But they all were wearing Rolexes. Like, all of them. Nice Rolexes. And so at one point, you know, I was talking to a guy or whatever, and, and uh, uh, I said, you know, something about his watch or whatever. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul gave this to me. The next guy, Paul gave this to me. Paul gave this to me. Paul gave this to me. Mm -hmm. so like, I was like, you know, Paul is represented by Rolex. And every time he plays in a team event, a Ryder Cup or a Savvy Cup or whatever, he gets a Rolex. And, and I asked Paul about that. And he goes, yeah. He goes, look. He goes, what, what good do they do me sitting in my dresser? So I just give them to all my mm. lifelong friends. It means something to them. And they all have some inscription on the back. Mm. You know, this guy's like, yeah, this is from the 2010 Ryder Cup. You know, this is, and I thought, what a, what a wonderful, yeah. thoughtful gesture mm. of, of Paul. And, and these guys that have known Paul since he was seven, eight, nine years old, they would run through a wall for Paul. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that that speaks to who Paul is as a person. We're lucky, very lucky to have him on our team. Lastly, GW, congrats on all yeah. your success. Great summer. Th this way. five clubs has been this show excellent, and thanks for having us on. Number one for being yeah. our pal all these years, and uh, you know your work with uh, Steph Curry's tour, and 
numerous other entities, uh, impressive. So wish you the best going forward, Pam. Thank Very you impressive. both for the time, more importantly for the friendship. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks to thank you. All right, Appreciate thank it. you to everybody out there for listening and watching this Five Clubs conversation. We'll see you next week.